Well, Father, I think that sums up well the desires of our heart today, this first Sunday of 2014, as a church, as families, as individuals, as couples, as young people. Father, that we would be seekers of your heart, that we would be pursuers of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that 2014 would be a year of spiritual growth and development outreach and productivity and bearing much fruit. Take your word now, Lord, and use it well as we study it together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I invite you to turn to Matthew's Gospel in chapter 3 at Fellowship Bible Church on our Sunday mornings. We are now um, preaching through the Gospel of Matthew, and this morning it's that voice in the wilderness. Um, We have... um, have been challenged by Matthew so far with that genealogy in chapter 1, the the remarkable story of the birth of Christ in the end of chapter 1, and then that just interesting story of the Magi and of Herod. And what is Matthew doing? Matthew is documenting for the Jews who seek a sign. Remember that the Gospel of Matthew is written to the Jew, right? And Matthew was a Jew. And Matthew understood his audience. And Matthew had a heart after 400 silent years. Remember, we've done this already. If you turn to the left, just one page, you probably have a blank page. That represents 400 years since Malachi and the prophets completed their messages, their speaking. And for 400 years, four centuries... There has been no word. The heavens have been silent. And they have the word of the prophets. They have the Pentateuch and Moses. They have the Psalms of David, the wisdom of Solomon in writing. But God has not spoken. And now after 400 years, Matthew begins to write. He documents the the legal and birthright of our Lord Jesus through the genealogies to sit on the throne of David. We have the most remarkable, brief, but remarkable details of Joseph's perspective. And most likely, Joseph's genealogy was the one accounted here. Herod recognizes that there's a king of the Jews that's been born. The Magi from the East recognize. Matthew has continually, in fact, five times in chapter 1 and 2, he quotes out of the Old Testament, as he will continually do in the Gospel of Matthew. Why? Because the Jews were students of the Old Testament. They knew the old scriptures, the old covenant, and they understood and they were looking for Messiah. And so Matthew will quote scripture over and over and over from the Old Testament and he will shed light on the New Testament. And it all does what? Like a floodlight, a spotlight points to Christ. We're now in chapter three and we're ready to take off in the gospel of Matthew. I want to warn you that we have some hard teaching ahead. I want to warn you that if you are a follower of Christ, it's not all just this life of knitting daisy chains and sitting around cross-legged, eating birdseed and humming kumbaya. It's not what following Christ is. In fact, Jesus very much will interrupt your life. And in fact, the teachings of Christ are very difficult and very hard. And they will cut against the grain of everything that's in our flesh and everything that is our natural bent. And Jesus will come and he will cut across the grain. Before we enter that interesting section where we encounter Christ then full time through the rest of Matthew, 
Matthew chapter 4 with the temptation of Christ, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the preaching of the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, and oh, there's some hard teaching there. We have this most interesting segue chapter in chapter 3 of, as it were, an introduction to Christ. Introductions are an interesting thing. Now, I want you to understand that as we study the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 3 this morning, that we are dealing with this interesting individual, a cousin of our Lord Jesus, who is given the high calling of introducing and proclaiming loudly across the countryside that Messiah has come. So if 400 years have gone by on the blank page before Matthew's gospel begins, know that in Matthew chapter 1 and chapter 2, as we gap from chapter 2 to chapter 3, roughly 30 years have gone by. All of a sudden, 30 years is by. And it is now the introduction to the public ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. I've told you this story before, but it it, it illustrates what I believe is part of the heartbeat of John the Baptist, who is who chapter 3 is all about, this voice crying in the wilderness. Many of you know that I was involved in full-time youth ministry for many years. And one of the things that I was involved in was I, w- I helped lead a youth conference of Bible churches across the Midwest particularly, and some in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, as far west as California also. Not a big group, but about 350 Teenagers and about 100 adults for about 450, 500 people would come together every summer for our youth convention. Our teens here still do this. Our Bible quizzers go to this conference. I used to be in charge of that, the chairman of the committee that put that together for many years and ran the platform. Well, one year we were at the master's college in Southern California using their facilities for our youth convention. You may or may not realize that the president of the Master's College is Dr. John MacArthur, one of the most well-known radio preachers and Bible teachers alive in the world today. God is using his books and his writings, his radio ministry, his church, Grace Community Church, is a great big church there in Southern California. And so we were pretty tickled that we got word back that John MacArthur would fit into his schedule one hour, about in the middle of the week, when our teens were assembled in the auditorium, that Dr. John was going to come and address our group and challenge us from the Word of God. And he shared his testimony. It was great, great time together. And so the wheels began to turn in my mind because I ran the platform and was in charge of the conference. I thought to myself, I get to shake John MacArthur's hand. And I'm going to get to introduce him. Well, when you're busy and scheduled like he was, they brought him in at the very last minute. He was at the side of the auditorium. We were finishing up our singing. I was on the platform. Our song leader was leading the, the worship. And we. And in just a minute, I was going to have the privilege that I would tell my grandkids about someday that I introduced John MacArthur on the platform. And I don't know if you remember me telling you this story, what happened next. But one of the guys on the committee who was standing in the back, who uh, had a couple kids at Master's College as students, came walking right down the middle of the aisle and and waved me forward on the platform. I was back here sitting down and went forward. He said, Van, I'll introduce John MacArthur because my boys are into college and and I got some things I want to say, so I'll just introduce. So who do you think you are? I'm in charge of this convention, not you. You're in the back. You're supposed to be in the back. I get to introduce John MacArthur. 
I, you know, I didn't really know what to say, and I thought, you know what, it's, it's just my pride that wants me to introduce John MacArthur. So who cares? John MacArthur puts his shoes on one foot at a time like everybody else, and they come untied when he's walking. You know, who cares? I'm not going to. So he introduced him. And I, had, I have to tell you that I, I struggled in my flesh with that rascal, and I thought, I wanted to introduce him. One of the things I want you to, to know as we go into chapter 3 is that you have to feel the sense that John the baptizer, John the Baptist's high calling and privilege of his life was to walk around and proclaim that Messiah has come. He is the one that God chose, this strange, rather odd guy that you're going to see in a minute in Matthew chapter 11, that Jesus said is greater than anyone who's ever lived. Greater than Noah, greater than Abraham, greater than Moses, greater than David. John the Baptist is the greatest of all. He finishes that verse, by the way, Matthew 11, 11, saying, and anyone in the kingdom, anybody who's a follower of Christ is even greater than John the Baptist. But John the Baptist, I referenced him in the second service last week as an old coot because he's kind of an odd guy. And he lived in the wilderness. You'll see that in just a minute. John the Baptist was the greatest of all men, Jesus said in Matthew 11. And John the Baptist's greatest privilege was to proclaim that Messiah was coming. There's a lesson for our church in that. Well, let's, um, in the few minutes that we have, let's read... Uh, our text, Matthew's Gospel in chapter 3. And the first thing I want us to do, number one, is I want us to meet this strange man. Number one, let's meet this strange man. In those days, okay, so a transition statement from chapter 2. In those days, and about 30 years has gone by, John the Baptist, and the way it's written, um, the phrasing in his, it's an active word, and so it would be accurate to say John the baptizer, John the one who baptizes, who's actively involved in baptizing people. We know him as John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness, proclaiming, crying out is an accurate word, preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, and this is Quoting now, Matthew, once again, quoting Isaiah 40, verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John, verse 4, wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. That was a very coarse, rough, kind of like wearing a, burla, a big burlap sack. And his food, very simple, was locusts and wild honey. So he lived off the land and he lived in the wilderness. Somewhat reclusive, no doubt. Somewhat eccentric, no doubt. You get the idea, though we can't necessarily prove it. He could have been neat and tidy and bathed regularly in one of the rivers. But you get the idea that he was kind of a bushy-haired, rough guy who lived in the bush. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. So they began to hear about him. And the people in that whole region would go out of the outskirts of town. And here was this striking figure, John the Baptist, who was preaching and proclaiming. Now you need to understand that John the Baptist was a prophet. And where he falls chronologically, it's accurate to say that John the Baptist is an Old Testament prophet. Chapter 3 of Matthew is still Old Testament. Okay? Christ has not 
gone to the cross. He's not been buried. He's not risen. The church has not been started and we're still under the law and, the, and Christ hasn't begun his earthly ministry. And so really after 400 silent years, what we now have is a resurgent of a voice of a prophet. And in fact, we won't have time to look up the verses, but one of the questions that's going to come up, and we will be with John the Baptist next week studying his baptism. What was his baptism all about? And why did Jesus get baptized? That's next week. Interesting questions. But one of the things that was asked of John the Baptist is, because it was prophesied in Malachi that Elijah would come and turn the hearts of the fathers towards their sons. And the question was, is this Elijah? Has he come? And you know, at the Passover meal, even today, uh, even Messianic Jews and others will set a chair and an empty plate for Elijah. They're anticipating Elijah coming back. And in fact, it appears in the book of Revelation that perhaps one of the two witnesses is the personification of Elijah coming back, a great prophet. But when asked if he was Elijah, John himself said, no, but Jesus said, he's Elijah. He's the, he's the essence of Elijah here, proclaiming the message of Elijah. And you remember Elijah. He's the prophet who took on the false prophets of Baal. Remember when King Ahab, you couldn't find a more wicked time in Israel. And I dare you to find a more wicked time in the United States. And in, and in Israel of old, during Ahab's reign, and remember he was a puppet on a string for his burly but evidently beautiful wife at some level, Jezebel, who, by the way, don't forget, got ran over by Jehu and his chariot and his horses and then the dogs ate her. You can't mess with God forever. And so Israel is as bad as it gets. And Elijah prays, stops the rain for three years, remember? Ahab chases all over the country looking for Elijah. And Elijah is the one voice that stands up, takes on the prophets of Baal. Remember they cut themselves, prayed, danced all day. Elijah tells them to pour water on their altar and nothing, or on their, uh, not on theirs, excuse me, but then nothing happens to theirs. Then when he sets up his own, he actually pours water on it so that they knew there was no gizmos or gadgets or little firebug inside there. And all of a sudden fire comes down from heaven and Elijah conquers. He calls the people out to follow after God. That is the mindset and understanding of how you think of John the Baptist. Powerful man, strong man, calling a nation that is far from God to turn to God. But I'm getting ahead of myself just a little bit. And then let's just remind ourselves as we understand who John is. Will you flip over to Luke's gospel in chapter 1? And let me just read real quickly with limited comment and remind us of his birth. Number one, let's meet this strange man. Letter A, he had a remarkable beginning. John the Baptist had a remarkable birth. Do you remember that? You know, in our Bible, there's, a no, there's numerous strange and odd births that take place. And often it had to do with parents who were too old and were beyond childbearing. Abraham comes to mind. Or barren Hannah with Samuel. Interesting births. Look at John the Baptist's birth. His parents are fairly well known to you if you've been around Sunday school world for a while. 
Let's begin with Luke's Gospel in chapter 5. We were not in Luke very much at all this Christmas season. Sometimes during the Christmas season, we review this story. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. Did I say chapter 5? Luke's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 5. All of a sudden, I heard all the pages turn. Where are you going? Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So Zechariah and Elizabeth should be names that you kind of recognize from your Sunday school days. And they were both, look at this testimony in verse 6. Isn't this good? Isn't this good? And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. What a testimony, huh? What a testimony. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, his division was on duty. This had to do with uh, the whole breakdown of the worship system there in the, in the temple. According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense Okay, so this was his time to actually get to go into the Holy of Holies and represent the people. It was a high privilege of what happened here. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And this is a very serious thing. It is, it is possible that if the priest comes in appropriately, God would strike him dead when he comes in there. And so everybody's really quiet and they're listening and they're praying and it's a very serious thing. And there appeared to him while he was in there, verse 11, an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Okay, so remember, Zechariah is going to be very serious right now. This is a huge deal. It's a little bit of coming in the presence of the Lord in fear and trembling. And all of a sudden, an angel appears to him. All right? In the Christmas story, particularly, we have a lot of angels appearing, don't we? And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. That's a common response to seeing an angel. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. Now catch these details. These are the details of John the Baptist's most remarkable beginning. And you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Okay, so Elizabeth and Zechariah are beyond childbearing years. So one of the reasons many people, all their friends and family will rejoice, because they finally, she who is barren finally has a child. But look what else. For he will be great before the Lord. And Matthew eleven eleven is where Jesus said he's greater than anyone who's ever lived. He will be great before the Lord. He had stature, spiritual stature in the eyes of God. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. Okay, that's the Nazarite vow. He was to be separated unto God from birth, dedicated to the service of the Lord. So understand this, that part of his remarkable beginning was that from the very beginning, after he was born, even probably before he could understand language, his mother, no doubt, sang songs in his ear and whispered in his ear that he was going to be great and that he was special and that he had a high calling and something was different about him. And that's what John the Baptist heard all of his growing up years. You're different, son. You're set apart to God. Leave that juice alone there, son. Don't touch the fruit of the vine. Why? Because you're separated unto God. You have a special, you are a special boy. 
And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Do you remember what happened to the unborn John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb when Mary comes on the next page, when Mary comes to her? And the baby leapt within the womb. Started flip-flopping in there. Well, if he was possessed by the Holy Spirit in this Old Testament manner where the Holy Spirit comes upon in a special way, evidently when the third member of the Godhead recognized the mother to be of the first member who was already with child, I guess, there was a reaction. I don't know. But it's interesting, isn't it? Filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn, here it is, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in spirit and in the power of Elijah. See, there's that reference to Elijah. You can look at Matthew 17, 11 through 13 if you want, and Matthew eleven fourteen. Matthew eleven fourteen and Matthew 17, 11 through 13 if you want to explore that concept of John the Baptist being a spiritual version of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Let's just stop right there in the story and know this much. As we meet this strange man, number one, we recognize that he had a remarkable beginning. And number two, we see that he had an incredible calling. He had an incredible calling. Did you see what God says he's going to do? Look at verse 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready the Lord a people prepared. He had a high calling. Let's turn very quickly to John's Gospel. And I think we have time to see what John says. All four of the Gospels, by the way, give an account of John the Baptist's ministry. Appropriate for he who is greater than even Abraham and Moses and David. In John's Gospel, in chapter 1, let's look at verse 19. John's Gospel in verse 19, and notice again, and here's the the theme about Elijah comes up again, and John writes, John the Beloved writes in his account, in chapter 1, verse 19, and this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So John understood his high calling. He understood his calling. I am a mouthpiece. I am the introduction to the real show. I'm not the real show. The real show's coming. It's kind of neat if you stop and think about it. There's all kinds of ways that we could probably imagine a uh, Jesus could enter the world and be born. Evidently, there was only one way, and that's the way that happened. But if you were going to... If you wanted people to know for sure that Jesus was going to be born, doesn't it make sense that you would have Old Testament prophecies and the prophecies would come fulfilled and people would know it and they'd be able to see it? And then maybe you would have... People, common people like shepherds. That's a pretty neat part of the story. Dancing and carrying on and saying, He's there, we saw the... And then this entourage of the Magi. 
And then, 30 years later, when it's time to start his public ministry, it kind of makes sense. You're going to have a guy who's going to just walk around. So that, listen, to think about this. Did Israel accept or reject Messiah? They killed him, right? They nailed him to a cross. They rejected him. And so they stand before God one day and say, Well, we didn't get it. We missed it. God can look at him and say, But I sent a guy who walked all over the countryside and he shouted at the top of his voice, Messiah has come! Messiah has come! There it is. You can't get any clearer than that. But what's the problem? I don't believe that stuff. You can't tell me that's true. Listen, people, you've got to understand it's the same thing today. When you proclaim, God has spoken. And He said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And He spoke it on to... I don't believe that stuff. Can't be any clearer. Can't be any clearer. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Nah, I don't believe that stuff. What may, I got this system that I worked up in my... It can't be any clearer. So you need to have fear and trembling. If you reject Christ and you stand before God someday, it's going to be just like the Jews who won't have a word to say because John shouted it all over the countryside that Messiah had come. And it can't get any clearer. And so we're without excuse. You better think. Have you heard the voice crying in the wilderness? He had a remarkable beginning. He had an incredible calling. His job was to prepare the way of the Lord. Let's go back to Matthew quickly. Matthew chapter 3. And notice he is this fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah's words. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. That's a little bit strange to us. That's a little bit strange to us. But you need to know that his audience would have completely understood in the context of culture what he was talking about. And the way it worked was, in these kinds of communities and cities in the Judean countryside and in surrounding countries, in this Eastern culture, when a dignitary or a king or a high official sent from a king was coming on official business to enter, they would send a crier out ahead of him. And so, several days ahead in our culture now, the Secret Service would advance and make sure everything's ready. But here, the crier would just come, Hey! So-and-so's coming. Governor so-and-so will be here Thursday at noon. Pick up this trash. And they'd pick up the trash. And they'd fill in the potholes. What's wrong with your road? He's got potholes in the road. And if it was an even really important person, they would work months ahead and they would fill in the low spots in the road. They might take some curves out of the road so that when he's going down the road in his chariot, it wouldn't sway very much. And it would be a straight road. And it would be a calm, smooth ride into town. Because the more important you were, the more they straightened out the roads and filled in the potholes. His audience would have totally understood this. And that's what John is saying. You know, John doesn't really mean get your shovel out and your rakes out and fill in the roads and fill the potholes and pick up the trash and burn the garbage in your neighborhood and get cleaned up because the king's coming. But he's using a word picture, isn't he? It's the idea that the king is coming, Messiah is coming. And so that was his message. But notice after that, John wore a garment of camel's hair and leather belt. So three things to learn about John as we meet this strange man. Number one, he had a remarkable beginning. Number two, he had an incredible calling. And number three, he had a humble way of living. He had a humble way of living. He was not materialistic. He was distinct, 
like the prophet Elijah. You'll learn, studying in your Old Testament, that the prophets lived very simply. They depended on the Lord for their, and the people for their sustenance. That's our introduction to this strange man. Number two, let's look at his strong message. As we meet this strange man, let's recognize number two in our outline that we need to look at his strong message. Let's go very quickly and read the rest of our passage in Matthew 3. And then Jerusalem and all Judea, they came out, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. So there were people who received his message, acknowledged that they were sinners, and then in a symbolic way of acknowledging that they knew they were sinners and needed cleansing, they got into the waters of baptism and John baptized them. This is a very distinct baptism. And in fact, next Sunday, it's going to be kind of interesting to to flesh this out, you will see that later in the church planting movement in the book of Acts, that they will find people in farther regions of the country after the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached and people are being baptized in Jesus' name, that they come and they will say, we never heard of the baptism of Christ, but we were baptized with John's baptism and they're going to get re-baptized. So this is a unique baptism and it was a marking that they had made a public confession of their sin. And that's why John was known as the baptizer. But notice that he had a two-part message. Okay, the first part is in verse 3, or in the end in verse 2, and he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the first part of his message. I want you to notice that verse 7 then, as we continue our passage, that when John saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming, these were the religious leaders of the day, okay? He said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with what? With repentance. His message was a call to repent. The first part of his message, repent. We don't have time to look up the verses, but you need to know that this was the very first word that is given that was Jesus' public proclamation of his public ministry. In in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Matthew 4, 17, when we get there, you will see that Jesus' first public word was, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You'll see that in Acts chapter 2, when Peter is preaching, that his call is going to be, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sin. You're going to see that the Apostle Paul, uh, Peter does that in Acts chapter 3, actually verse 19. He starts that message in chapter 2, I believe. Paul, in Acts chapter 26, the Apostle Paul will summarize his preaching ministry by saying that it's summed up in a gospel of repentance. So what does it mean to repent? What was John saying? Okay, so the the actual meaning of the word repent is the idea of stop going this direction and do a U-turn and turn around and go a different direction. So one of the things that Paul was work, excuse me, John the Baptist was crying out for them was to turn away. But you need to understand this at a deeper level. By the way, let me give a commercial for our Wednesday night class with Tom Jesserin on key words in the Christian life, I'm going to guess he's going to hit repentance. Maybe not. He will now. <laughs> and then he'll straighten you out on all this stuff you're getting up here. So the idea is to make a U-turn or to turn around. But what you need to understand that it goes deeper than that. The idea is that you are convicted of your sin. And some of you can remember this, can't you? 
You were convicted of your sin. And it isn't just like turn around, but as the Spirit of God opens your eyes to the gospel, you are to agree with God that you are a sinner and you need to turn away from your sin. And the idea of this U-turn is that I am turning away from sin and I am now turning towards righteousness. And John's message gets fleshed out, particularly in Luke's gospel and in John's gospel. He even tells soldiers that are there how to behave, and he tells tax collectors how to give back money. The idea was, you used to live like this. Don't live that way anymore. That's an example of your sinfulness. You must repent. What's that? I must agree with God about my sinfulness and turn away from that sin and turn towards God and righteous living so that, and John will use this phrase over and over, if you take time to read in the four Gospels, the account of John the Baptist, he will talk about the, fruit of, the fruits of repentance and the righteousness that comes from following after God. That's John's message, part A, repent. Part B, prepare. Messiah is coming. His message was twofold. Repent, prepare. Repent, prepare. And he hammered away at that message. You heard John once, you heard him every time. Repent, be baptized, follow after righteousness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make way. The Messiah is coming. Be warned. And he warns the Pharisees. Because look at that. Let's quickly look at verse 9 and 10 and we have to go. And do not presume to say to yourself... See, here it is in verse 8. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. We already read that. Verse 9. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. So here's the thing. That is nothing but religious piety. That is nothing but a national pride that John punches in the nose and he looks at the Pharisees and he looks at the Sadducees and he looks at all of us in this audience today and he said, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or where you were born. Reality is, if God wants to raise up children, he can raise them up out of the stones of the ground and call them his people. So don't think, because this was the mindset of the day, that if you were a Jew and you were in Israel, you had it made and all the Gentiles were the ones that had to worry. A lot of religious people today think like that. But that's not the way it is. And John confronts that. Repent. Turn to righteousness. Prepare. Jesus is coming. Now look at... That's his strong message. You have to know finally, number three, that he was all about his sovereign master. John was all about his sovereign master. Number three. Let's just read the text. Verse 9 again, and, we, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That is a warning to all of Israel and to individuals. And ultimately, Israel gets cut off, don't they? And the axe is put to the root. They reject Christ, he cuts them off. That's why the church is here today. John said, I baptize you with water for repentance. In recognition of your repentance, I baptize you with water. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now of warning, verse 12. His winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will clear his threshing floor. And he will gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Well, that's a warning. 
I'll baptize you to indicate you're turning to righteousness, but you need to pay attention to the one who's coming, and he's got his winnowing fork in his hand. And he's going to throw it in this agricultural illustration, and he's going to toss up the the wheat, and the air is going to flow through, and it's going to go, and the wheat and the grain falls, the good grain is captured, the rest is cast aside and put into the fire. The wheat and the tares. Jesus will use that kind of a story later on in his parabolic ministry. It's interesting, isn't it? John was all about his sovereign master who had the winnowing fork in his hand. That's the voice crying in the wilderness. Can you think of a more relevant message for the United States today than what John just said in verse 12? He's coming, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. No doubt there is a specific message to Israel there, as Matthew writes to the Jews, but it is a general message to all people everywhere. Three thoughts as we wrap up. Going back to the beginning, earlier part of our message, number one, John's special calling. I've been meditating on John's calling and how he lived out a calling that he had been told since birth. He didn't know it. His parents had to teach him that this was his calling. And I think one of the applications is to learn from John the Baptist to live out your calling. If you're alive, there's still time to live out your calling. Some of you may have made commitments as a youth, and you knew God had his hand upon you, and you have never lived out that calling. Some of you have a calling of God now, and God is putting things on your heart and mind, and you're afraid to live that out because maybe it's going to be hard. Maybe you don't know how to proceed. But if God is putting a calling on your life, look at John the Baptist. Listen, it's only going to be a matter of months and they throw him in jail. And he's going to get his head lopped off. You talk about difficult living out a calling. John the Baptist had it. Live out your calling, number one. Number two, as John's voice was heard in the wilderness of that day, spiritually speaking, is there a more barren wilderness than the United States of America? Where are the voices? Let us be voices crying out in the wilderness for number three. The passion of John was to talk about the coming of Christ. Let's make the coming of Christ our passion and let's cry out in the wilderness. I like this guy on the sign here. You got the guts to stand in the middle of an intersection and be weird. But they're being told, and I want to tell you, John's message was just about as blunt as that. John's message was in your face. It wasn't relational. It was, here's what's happening. Repent, prepare. It was direct and to the point. It was politically incorrect, but it was absolutely true and is what they needed to hear. Live out your calling. Live out your calling. Be a voice in the wilderness and let us be crying out, preparing the way of the Lord. He's coming again. He's coming again. Why wouldn't we cry out for that as a warning And it's a challenge just as much as John did in his day. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for John's testimony. What an interesting guy he is. Father, would you help us in 2014 to be courageous for the gospel? Would you help us, even like John, to simplify our lives so that we can focus on the message that is needed in these dark wilderness days? And would you help us to be your voice crying out in the wilderness? And would you help us to be so aware 
and preparing the way of your coming, recognizing that it's imminent. Even so, come quickly. Maybe in 2014, would you help us to be like John? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.